it's not easy to face one's mortality. So the disinclination to focus on estate planning, from my point of view, is quite understandable. The process uh, is not simple. It requires you to focus on your family, your relationships with them, their relationships with you and with each other. Every month at Exit Strategy, we will elevate interesting topics all around end-of-life conversation. And trust me, there's a lot to talk about because we just don't discuss the details enough. Today, I am pleased to welcome to Exit Strategy, Jonathan Herlands. Jonathan is an estate and trust attorney with Gordon Herlands and Randolph in New York City. He heads the firm's trust and estates department and lectures extensively on estate planning and administration. In addition to his professional endeavors, Jonathan is a director or trustee of numerous charitable institutions, including several foundations. Welcome to the podcast, Jonathan Herlands. We are thrilled to have you here for a crash course. And I'm just going to call this Estate and Trust Planning 101, okay? It sounds great. Many people are totally on top of their estate planning, like from day one. And then there are others who wait until much later in life because it's complicated. Or some people don't feel that their assets are large enough. Or I don't know, maybe they have a psychological barrier to considering that death is approaching. Tell me what your thoughts and observations are, or what gets in the way, and how can we overcome them? It's not easy to face one's mortality. So the disinclination to focus on estate planning, from my point of view, is quite understandable. The process uh, is not simple. It requires you to focus on your family, your relationships with them, their relationships with you and with each other, their ability to handle money to possibly take on at your request responsibilities such as being an executor or trustee under a will or a trust, agent under a a power of attorney, healthcare proxy. And then the questions, will one's children or siblings or other beneficiaries cooperate in dividing jewelry, furniture, paintings, et cetera? But the bottom line is this, no one understands your finances and family better than you. If you want to be the captain of your own ship, and make the division of your assets as painless as possible. It must be you who makes these tough decisions. Now, a competent and compassionate trust and estates attorney can help with the process, can guide, can act as a sounding board. But the decisions are still yours, the client. And if you don't make these decisions, you know, state law will make them for you. Right which usually ends up not being the way you'd want your assets to be distributed. And I know you do this on a daily basis, but this is a lot of information for people to take in and to think about. So let's define exactly what we're talking about. So what's a trust? What's an estate? What's a will? And more importantly, what happens if I die without any of these in place? A will is a legal document signed uh, in the presence of witnesses, which sets forth how and to whom you want to leave your assets. Or you can leave particular property to individuals, such as jewelry, furniture, your golf clubs, etc. You can also direct the sale 
of certain of the assets so that you can say, I direct that my apartment shall be sold and the proceeds added to my estate. If you end up wanting to distribute liquid assets, say in in dollar amounts or percentages, Mm -hmm. the same thing with jewelry or any other property. The problem with the will is that it has to be probated, meaning it has to be proven to be your last will. And therefore, it has to be brought to the surrogate's court. Let's say I have a will. It has to go to court, even though it's my last will and testament? Exactly, because the court has to certify that it is indeed your last will and testament. Unfortunately, all of us know of stories of people who were taken advantage of or who were not competent at the time that they signed their wills and were taken advantage of. So therefore, the arbiter, whether these wills are valid or not, is the surrogate's court. So that the witnesses at the very time that you sign your will state, we were all together in the room, the individual was competent, could read and write the English language, was not under any duress. So you don't have to start running around looking for the witnesses, especially if they've died at that time. But you have to bring it to court. And because of the COVID deaths, which caused a huge number of wills to be filed for probate, thousands, it overwhelmed the system. Wow. And backed up. And therefore, instead of it being a month to bring the will to court Mm -hmm. and have the executors appointed, it now can take six months or more. Oh, my. Which means that the estate is frozen. So therefore, we often recommend an alternative to will called a revocable living trust, which does not have to be probated. So it's not a way of getting around anything if you've done something wrong, but if everything is okay, you don't have to go to court. And it's totally revocable, so you can amend it at any time. It contains provisions in it that govern uh, your assets while you're alive and well, at which point you can do anything you want. When you're alive and not well, at which point a trustee, successor trustee comes in, and when you die. So it has all of the provisions that would normally be in in a will, and you transfer your assets to this trust. And it's freestanding. Interesting. If you die without a will or a trust, there is in almost every state a state statute, which is called the intestacy statute, which means you die without a will. And it distributes your assets based purely on blood relationship, first to immediate family, then aunts, uncles, cousins, etc. Usually not the way you'd want your assets to pass. So again, as I say, be the master of your fate, the master of your ship. Don't let the state distribute your assets for you. Interesting what you said about a will. We need just to make a note that one cannot have their funeral arrangements in a will because, to your point, a will will not be read until long after burial takes place. So let's presume that I'm someone who, at this point in life, has decided to begin estate planning. Let's talk about the very basic steps I need to take, the documents I need to assemble, and what sort of decisions I should be expected to make. The first thing I would say is make a list of your assets. Organize yourself. A list of your assets with approximate current values. Any property in your name, any property that you own jointly with anyone else, list those who are nearest and dearest to you and how you might want to divide your Mm -hmm. estate among them. In other words, you start by trying to uh, figure out the division yourself. Again, the attorney can help you with this or help you along with it, but the basic decisions you need to make. Right. Consider whom you would uh, name as an executor to oversee your estate or who would be the trustee. Do any of the people that you're going to leave money to 
Are any of them in a position where they really can't manage it themselves, either because they're too young or too old or too ill? You may need to have a trustee Mm -hmm. named for them to handle the money. You also need to have a durable general power of attorney for yourself in case you're alive but not well, which is the the most precarious situation, the one I'm worried about most. Who's going to be that agent and who's going to be the backup to that agent? Mm -hmm. And finally, you need a healthcare proxy and a living will. Who's going to make end of life decisions for you if you're not able to? And then, as I said, wrapping this up all together, hire a good trust and estates lawyer who can work through all of this with you and really help to make the pieces fall into place. I know that estate planning, much like funeral planning, varies from state to state. So how should somebody find a good estate and trust attorney? Just on the internet or what do you recommend? Well, I don't recommend necessarily the internet or one of those easy legal $29 wills where you have a lot of blanks. It's not going to necessarily work well. When you find a listing of trusts and estates attorneys in your area, perhaps then you can Google them to view their credentials. Are they part of a firm? What have they done as part of their professional practice? There are also recognized organizations such as super lawyers, Mm -hmm. Castle Connolly, who list those attorneys they consider to be in the top 5% of attorneys in every conceivable practice area based on credentials and peer reviews. Membership in bar association committees dealing with trust and state matters. Is your lawyer active? Is he or she keeping up to date? Membership in ACTEC, American College of Trust and Estate Council, is a very distinguished organization and indicates high professional expertise. But I still think that after all of this, the best way is to speak to friends of yours who have probably gone through the process and perhaps get recommendations from them. Exactly. Is this someone that you'll be able to talk to and let your hair down with? Yep. Is this someone who you feel you have chemistry? I feel that chemistry is at least 50% of the deal. Interesting. In hiring a trust and estates lawyer. So state and federal laws change all the time around estate planning issues. And of course, your personal circumstances can change. So how often should estate documents be visited, revisited, and changed? As a rule of thumb, I recommend that clients revisit their wills, trusts, powers of attorney, and healthcare documents every three to five years, mm-hmm. not necessarily to change them, but to consider whether the provisions of these documents uh, still make sense in light of the client's potentially changed financial circumstances changes in family dynamics Mm -hmm. and relationships, changes in the circumstances or relationships with the individuals appointed as executors, trustees, agents. I think that, you know, contacting your your attorney, if you feel that after going through that process, there's a need for change. In addition, I would say to contact your attorney to make sure that the estate and gift tax provisions that were prevailing three or five years earlier are still there and still are applicable to you, just like a maybe a half an hour, 45-minute tune-up, Yep. just to make sure that everything's working. You know, your automobile isn't the only thing that needs to be checked every now and then. <laughs> you know, you talked about leaving assets to family members, friends, and sometimes, as you said, that's not often the case or the desire. So 
Let's talk about charitable causes and foundations and such. How often do people do that? What should they be thinking about when they're planning? Individuals who don't have close family members or who have financially independent family members often consider leaving at least part of their estates to charities. I would say that it's not many clients who leave everything to charity. There's usually some person that they wish to remember. Very often, it's a question of benefiting charities that they favor during their lifetimes. This is an opportunity for them perhaps to make a, a bigger gift because they're no longer living and don't have to worry about their own income. Sometimes charities are part of what we call remote contingent provisions. If, God forbid, everyone that you wanted to leave money to, all the individuals have died, then you can consider leaving a good part of your estate to charity. It's not likely to happen, but you want to close the circle. And that can be by leaving dollar amounts or percentages, depending on your situation. People who have significant IRAs or other retirement vehicles That's an excellent vehicle for leaving money to charities by making them designated beneficiaries because IRAs are subject to income and estate tax. So you can, quote, cheat legitimately the government (laughs) out of about 72%, 72 cents on the dollar by leaving it parts of the IRA or other retirement vehicle to charity. Let's just talk for a moment about estate planning as a way to ensure for an individual's financial needs as they grow older. I don't think that people understand that estate planning is just not simply about when one dies. It's really a way to help plan as we age. Absolutely. You know, when we start with clients, we send out an estate planning questionnaire, an organizer, so that the client can list assets. It asks many questions about relationships with family members. One area of the questionnaire has to do with insurance. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking specifically of long-term healthcare insurance. Right. Healthcare costs are just prohibitive, something that I would suggest individuals purchase as early in their life as possible, because it only gets more expensive later on. And if you develop some type of illness, you may not be able to get long-term health care insurance. And I think after the age of 65, it really elevates dramatically. Absolutely, if you're able to get it at all. And also life insurance. Sometimes it's possible to uh, purchase long-term health care insurance that has a life insurance feature okay. attached to it. But this is something that you can speak to your trust and estates lawyer about, but they will probably refer you to a financial planner or an insurance specialist to do this. But how are you going to provide for family members if a certain amount of money is going to be needed and you don't have that right now? Or it's not free because you haven't invested in real estate and you don't want to have to necessarily sell the real estate at a fire sale. Interesting. What kind of life insurance protection? How much is right? What kind of insurance? The trust and estates lawyer can help you with that. As you mentioned earlier, creating an estate plan includes end-of-life directives, power of attorney, and other documents. So that all fits together in one's conversation with an estate and trust attorney, correct? Yes, absolutely. These are important matters to discuss with the professional. When it comes to powers of attorney and healthcare proxies, you need to sit down with the people who you're thinking of for these positions and look at them eyeball to eyeball and explain to them what your wishes are and make sure that they're going to be able to carry out your wishes. 
In order to do that, you need to figure out what your wishes are. Exactly. That's the hardest part. For sure. Look, these are sobering conversations and they're important conversations that we need to have. So these enormous burdens, if you will, are not left on the shoulders of those we care about the most. Just in closing, let's just list the five critical takeaways for everybody listening as they consider estate planning. Number one, review your assets, organize your financial statements and records in a safe place so that if you become ill, they can be quickly located and understood. You know, make sure your power of attorney agent or the executor or trustees knows where these records are and can access them, including an up-to-date list of usernames and passwords mm-hmm. for bank and brokerage accounts. Two, keep a list of important individuals to contact in the event of illness, including the lawyer, your doctors, accountant, financial planner. Three, make sure your retirement accounts and insurance policies have up-to-date beneficiary designation forms and are readily accessible. 80% of my clientele, when I first meet them, don't have that in good shape. Wow. Interview a few trust and estates attorneys to determine their level of expertise, their communication skills, their compassion to understand your objectives and to guide you, and to prepare the documents needed to carry out your intentions, and then pick the best of them. (laughs) Finally, speak with the individuals, as I said before, you're considering naming to act in these various roles. Make sure they understand your objectives and desires so that they will protect you at a point in time when you may not be able to protect yourself. Oh, you're so right. You've just delivered so much important information. Jonathan, thank you so much for being a guest on Exit Strategy. Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. As the host of Exit Strategy, I thank you for tuning in to what I hope was an informative and illuminating conversation about this end-of-life issue. I urge you to visit our show notes, and there's an email listed there, so if you have any questions, send them my way. In the meantime, please share this episode with anyone you know who may be interested, and subscribe to Exit Strategy. Wherever you listen to your podcasts each month, we'll renew our conversation with another topic, and I'm really happy you're along for the ride. I'm Stephanie Gary, and this is Exit Strategy.